just go over a few things before we do get into the word this morning from an announcement standpoint. I get questions from time to time about the things that are going on. One of the questions I got this week was in regard to uh, the New Year's Eve service as it relates to, um, I guess, the curfew that went into effect. Was it Friday? Okay. Um, and so, um, of course, we have the New Year's Eve service that we had announced before that, which is uh, scheduled for 11 p.m. to 12 p.m. And I struggle to understand how the church can believe in science but not in the Word of God, can believe in the same science that says there is no God and that man evolved from monkeys or have you, which evolved from slime and a mud puddle instead of the, the Word of God, which says we were created by him. He created the day and the night um, and everything. And uh, it can be such a stickler for re the restrictions and rules and protocols during the pandemic. But even when times are easy, won't take the commands of, of Jesus Christ seriously. And so, um, you know, I, I know we have to take a stand while we can take a stand because I don't know. I don't want to stand before the Lord when this is all over. Um, you know, and say, that, you know, Lord, I didn't because or whatever. Um, it's actually against my religion not to pray the new year in. <laughs> we've always done it. Um, and I think that because we've always, we've always done that and it is important, um, especially in a year like the year we've had, I, uh, I plan to be here with my family at 11 uh, p.m. on the 31st. And uh, so all of any of you are welcome to come, but not because I said so, just because if you desire to come, you come, okay? Um, you know, your leadership here, we've prayed through everything this year, and we've only done what we felt like the Lord, we sensed the Lord was leading us to do. And that's not a feeling, it's more of a, we're getting a circle, with our Bibles, and we put the issue before us and we pray, okay? And spirit-filled men who have the word of God in their hearts and in their hands <laughs> um, reason through things together and make decisions. And so um, that's how we've operated this year. And, um, and so even, even with that, in the midst of all of this, uh, we, we wanted to provide ways for all to be able to worship based upon their, their, their conviction and how the Lord was leading them, which is why we have the first service, which is everybody has to wear masks. And then the other two, um, we're allowing Christian adults to uh, make the decision that they need to make for themselves. And, you know, today uh, our leaderships, we're, we're trying not to do any hugging and stuff just because we don't have enough people to quarantine anybody on leadership. Follow me? <laughs> because we are quarantining when somebody tests positive to protect everybody else. So we're trying to do those things. And so we're trying to conduct ourselves accordingly today. And I stood in the parking lot between first and second service talking to a 60-something-year-old gentleman that just got over COVID. And oh, my goodness. I was looking in his eyes and telling him how he made me more of a prayer warrior than I thought I was. And uh, how you know he battled through it. And he was just praising God as well. And so, and we are seeing uh, more people test positive now than we were earlier in the year. And so uh, just be mindful of those things. But we got to also understand <clears throat> that this thing was released and now it's going to run its course in the environment. 
And that's just the reality of it. And we're not going to stop it um, from running its course. And no offense to anyone, um, no offense to anyone, no offense to anyone. People do what make, sometimes things make us feel comfortable. For instance, masks make people feel comfortable. But the reality is the real science behind that is the masks don't stop the coronavirus. Um, one brother, I won't point him out in here, but, you know, we were talking about it. And the reality is that um, throwing a coronavirus at a mask is like taking a handful of marbles and throwing them at a uh, chain link fence. You know? <laughs> Many of them are going to go through. <laughs> and that's just the reality uh, of all of this. And so um, God is good. And so I come to church on, on Sunday mornings believing that the same God who can give light to the land of Goshen and darkness to Egypt and has the ability to, to watch over us as we're also respecting each other. And that's the key. We're loving each other through respecting each other where we are. And that takes everybody doing that. It doesn't matter where you, where you, what you think and where you fall on things. Uh, God's love means that in loving one another, we completely meet each other where we are. We respect each, each other's position. Somebody said to me, well, Pastor Kevin, another question I got was, you know, how are we supposed to actually handle an epidemic, a pandemic, a plague, a pestilence from a biblical perspective? I said, well, God instructed Israel to take those who had um, a discharge or leprosy uh, of, of something of that sort and put them outside the camp, basically isolate them until it runs its course. And then for them to be introduced back into the camp or back into the nation, they had to go show themselves to the priests and be examined. So praise God, we got uh, doctors today so that the priests, the, the pastors, if you will, don't have to do the examination. You just show me your negative and we're good. All right? <laughs> you know, when it comes to, hey, Pastor Kevin, I was positive. Okay, well, you know, quarantine, and when you're done, come on back to church, you know, and you were hugging on this person over here, okay, well, then you guys, you quarantine, unless you want to go get a negative, and then you come on back. We do that for the sake of the whole body, but the world's way of doing it is lock down everything, and it doesn't work because uh, it's, it's in the environment, so um, just so we just want to throw those things out there as we begin to look at such a crazy year and here we are at the end of the year, and just when I thought, you know, ah, you know, it's going to ease up a little bit, we get past the election, things have changed, things kind of got worse, you know, where are we and where are we headed? And now it's so crazy. I would, let me share a few things with you that I'm now picking up on, as now we got a Christmas star on the horizon. For the first time since year 1226, I think it is Jupiter and Saturn are going to be in close conjunction with one another um, and to the earth uh, closer than it's been and brighter than it's been uh, since the year 1226, which is amazing. So on December 21st, we have what's called a Christmas star. Very interesting, though, those new agers, and we got some reformed everything in this church. <laughs> we got, yeah, we got everything. You name it. You look around, all these nice, sweet people in here, all these such good Christians. No, the people in this room used to be other stuff, basically. So um, the guys that used to, you know, steal cars, now they're watching your cars. You know, <laughs> they're in the parking lot ministry. You know, God redeems everything, you know. 
So if you get locked out, they can get you in in less than five minutes. <laughs> it's good. But the New Agers are telling me, though, that um, this, this rising of Jupiter and Saturn is happening within, I don't know how it works, what they call the Aquarius system or whatever, which a lot of New Agers are waiting for the age of Aquarius to come in. Um, remember the song? Yeah. You know, anyway, so they're waiting for that. And there's a lot of New Age implications that go along with all of that stuff. It's going to be a utopia, a peace. The bad people are going to get taken out of the way. They're going to get removed off the scene so that we can finally have those who are, who are right uh, with the universe will stay back. Okay. What that means is that, you know, in their eyes, when we get raptured, that's what just went down. You follow me? Um, now, at the same time, in Israel, rabbis say that Messiah is already here and they're having meetings with the Messiah and he's going to reveal himself soon. I'm not even going to read into that stuff, but that stuff is coming out now in the news. Um, and uh, I'll get into that some of the other things with Israel in a moment. So, so we got the Christmas star. We got Messiah is here, according to some rabbis. And on top of that, we have the 2020 UFO phenomenon. What do I mean by that? Well, now, and this is for some of you who struggle with your liberalism, NBC News, that's one of yours, um, <laughs> they reported on December 8th that um, a former Israeli space security chief has come out and uh, expose the fact that the Israeli government and the United States government, and particularly that, pre uh, that, um, what's that President Trump knows this, he said, that the two governments, the United States and Israel, have been in contact with um, aliens, if you will, and that they've known that they existed. Now, before I go further, we all know, not if you agree, that there are no such thing as aliens. They are fallen angels, right? We do understand that there are beings out there, but they're not what they're described. They're fallen angels, right? We understand, okay. Um, so that they're actually out there. Now, I would normally disregard all of this foolishness, but it's hard to disregard it when in the same year we have the declassification of records regarding our military's interaction with aircraft that defy the laws of nature and all known technological capabilities, how many of you saw that on the news this year, earlier this year? A few of you did. Yeah, you can, you can find that stuff online. Not only that, though, in the same time frame, our government creates a new arm of the military called the Space Force. I was scratching my head when in the Oval Office they were showing the Space Force and the new flag for the Space Force, which already has military officials who have been, if you will, transferred to this new unit. Did anybody see that other than me this year? The Space Force. But then it gets worse. Elon Musk keeps sending rockets up in 2020 into, the, the, uh, uh, into space to try to accomplish his, his goals of eventually um, getting his um, satellites circling to improve Internet connections as well as to make it to Mars. I mean, have you all seen all of this stuff this year? Please, I don't want to be the only one. <laughs> you never want to be the only one. The, weird, the only weird one in the room, Pastor Kevin. All of this stuff has just happened this year, and it, it's getting kind of um, interesting. All of those things are happening. Listen, this week I was reading that a California church was fined $55,000 
yet the pastor says services will go on. Let me read for a minute. It says a San Jose, California church and its pastor were fined in contempt at a court hearing this week after ignoring a court order to stop holding indoor worship services. This is for those who I'm trying to help you understand that persecution is coming our way. That was in direct violation of the Santa Santa Clara County's COVID-19 restrictions. KNTV reports Pastor Mike McClure, which I believe is Don McClure's son of Calvary Chapel, continued to hold services while being fined thousands of of dollars. A court, a, a court, excuse me, a county superior court judge had also ordered the church to stop holding indoor services, which the county said were held as recently as November 25th. Um, as CBN News reported, the Santa Clara County Council, James R. Wims, and District Attorney Jeff Rosen filed a complaint in the Superior Court on October 27, requesting that Calvary Chapel stop ongoing, uh, uh, ongoing and serious violations of the state and local public hearing orders. But McClure vowed to keep his church open after seeing members suffer from emotional and mental anguish due to the pandemic lockdowns. During McClure's hearing, a judge told him science matters, which is a religion in and of itself. And you can see those signs around now in people's yards before levying a fine of twenty five hundred dollars for every day the church has held indoor services. The fines total $55,000, according to KNTV. Following the hearing, McClure, the pastor there, addressed the media, indicating that no matter the fines or the restrictions placed on his congregation, services will continue. Um, That's interesting to me. Um, What if they say that we can't be nonprofit anymore? What if they say, I mean, you know, I, you know, and I remember talking about this 10 years ago. You know, what if those things happen? You know, there's something that the body of Christ is learning to do in the midst of this pandemic. And this is learning to operate and love one another and worship together and pursue our faith in Christ together. And, you know, how we do it might end up changing to some degree. But we're called to that until he takes us out of here. So these are the things that are beginning to happen. Persecution which is happening around the world more and more and more is going to be coming even more to America in this final hour, if you will. And so what we understand is uh, Paul talks about there being enemies of the cross in Philippians and, and those whose God is their belly, who, who seek after the things of this world, they are literally enemies of the cross because this world is all to them and the things of it is what they love. So they're literally enemies of the cross. And because we bear, remember Jesus says that they hate you. No, they hated me before they hated you. Because we bear the fragrance of Christ, we are going to be deemed the problem and in the way, and the world doesn't want us and doesn't want to hear what we have to say and wants to suppress uh, what the church represents and what the church does. What you have to understand is a time is coming where it doesn't matter if you are going out and preaching out on the square or not. You know, the days of, well, I just go to church and mind my own business, you know, but you're still, according to the world system, the issue because they want to promote their things. And when you look at the new age church, which is given over to the world, and we're going to get into Revelation here in a second again, um, so much so 
that they are following the things of it, then it becomes very, very, very clear that things are going in a bad way. So let's, let's get ready to dive in. One of the things I want to point out to you, and we got to remember, is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Because he kind of warned of that scene. And we've looked at it a couple of times. I want to look at it one more time. Are y'all okay? I know that this is the morning. I just got to get some stuff out. But Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 36 through 44, on the screen so you don't have to turn there. Jesus said, but of the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. As I've told you, Jesus utilizing the uh, Jewish wedding custom to kind of shed light on things for his disciples as it relates to him and the church. Does that make sense? Okay, Jesus is saying just, just like in the Jewish wedding feast, the, the bridegroom does not even know when he's going to get the bride until his father okays it. Likewise, Jesus is saying, I don't know the day and hour I'm coming for you, only the father. The angels don't even know. The father, my father in heaven knows only. And he goes on to say, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. We've talked about that. The days of Noah um, filled with a lot of things, but it was a lot of demonic activity, antagonism against those of faith, um, not willing to endure or any longer listen to the Word of God because Noah preached for 120 years and no one believed, okay? And the world was, was as a whole turning against the word of God at that moment, and there was a lot of demonic activity. He says, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be, which puts this incident prior to the rapture of the church, not prior to the second return of Jesus to the earth, because when Jesus comes back, Revelation 19, next chapter, we'll see it. The world will not be business as usual, marrying and giving in marriage. It will be utter chaos. Um, there will be men, people will be scorched by the sun, remember, because of the bowls that are poured out, because of all the wrath. People will be breaking out in loathsome sores who took the uh, mark of the beast. It will be um, the water systems destroyed. The air quality is gone. The earth is literally dying before Jesus returns. Jesus says if, if he didn't show up, no flesh would, would, would remain. Remember that? Okay, that's the scene before the second coming. So this is describing right before the rapture, people will be kind of living life as normal and, and not really focusing on the Lord or turning to him no matter what the church is doing until he blows the horn and takes the church out. Verse 39, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be uh, grinding in the mill. The one taken, the other one left. People will be working jobs, basically one taken, one left, kind of this, the picture, um, and which I believe hints towards the rapture. Watch, therefore, he says, you do not know the hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed this house to be broken into. Remember, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians that we are children of the light, not children of the, of the night, right? Remember that? Okay, and so that the coming of the Lord won't catch us as a thief in the night. Why? Well, because we're looking for him. We're expecting him. It's almost like we're not going to be caught off guard because that is what we're living for. We're told to live that way. If Jesus shows up now, we're not going to be caught off guard. I want to see Jesus show up now. You know, when, I, when we first moved into this building and the, whole, the, the train would go by, I always thought for probably the first six months that it was the rapture happening, you know. <laughs> and if the worship was loud and the building was shaking, I'm like, man, we really, we really praise in here. The spirit is moving, you know. So we're looking for God to come for us. Therefore, he says, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. 
So we're to be watching, we're to be ready. This is what we're called to do in these last days in which we're living in. And this is what we as believers need to understand. The problem is, and the reason why the church is struggling, is because to some degree, the church has learned to love the world. And this is what John is dealing with here in chapter 17 as he's baffled by what he sees. So let's go back into our study, Revelation chapter 17. And we're not going to get far today. So we'll pick it up in verse 1, read the chapter, dive in again. If you're there, chapter 17, verse 1, say amen. Amen. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the name of blasphemies, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls, uh, pearls having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And I kind of want to stop there because we're not going to get much further than that today. (laughs) Um, Let me read further, though, because for context, if you if you're not familiar with it all, I want to put it all together, at least verse seven, chapter 17. So verse seven says, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world uh, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sits. These are also seven kings, five are fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. But the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. And his other seven and his seven and is going into perdition. The angel thoroughly confused in John. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who are who have not received a kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. You can go back and listen to chapter 13 to get a little bit of a preview of what we're going to deal with in this. Um, these also, verse 13 here says, these also are one are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb as Jesus and the lamb will overcome them. Amen. For he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Best verse in the chapter chosen from the foundation of the world. Amen. Verse 15 says, then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people's multitudes, nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. 
for there's a lot of hint towards Jezebel there, which we talked about last week. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his promises, to be of one mind and to give uh, their kingdom to the beast until the words of the of God are fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is notice the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, just Babylon. Mystery Babylon, which is, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, though. And so, Father, we do thank you for this text. We pray that you would speak to us now, removing from our hearts and minds all things that distract and hinder, Lord God, that we may hear what you have to say by your spirit. Uh, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we talked about this last week. The angel, one of the angels who had the seven last bowls, which, remember, chapter 15 says that those seven last bowls that were being poured out are the seven last plagues and in them the wrath of God is complete. And so in those last seven bowls that were poured out on the earth brings us to the end of the tribulation where God completes his wrath against mankind, against the Christ-rejecting world and the, and the, the kingdom of Satan, if you will. And so when we go into chapter 17 and 18, as I shared with you last week, it's kind of what one of those things we call a parenthetical insert in where now John is being taken backwards to show some of the other details. In fact, he's taken back to look at the last three and a half years now to focus in on this mystery, which we are now seeing is being revealed. Okay, and that's what we began to look at last week. And in this, we saw two things last week. We saw a beast, right? Y'all okay? We saw a beast, which we identified back in chapter 13, okay? Um, We understand that the beast is a system that is in place that has come through time um, because the beast has seven heads, which we've talked about. Um, Also mentioned down here, seven mountains, which we learn in scripture are seven, if you will, governmental systems uh, which have been in place. So we see that. And so we see this beast, which we believe um, is from Egypt all the way through Rome. And then in the final days, a revived Rome, according to the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, which Daniel interprets, right? Okay. I want to make sure we're together. Y'all good? Are you doing your homework? You're reading this stuff. So we know that. Okay, so we see the beast. But what, what's really interesting is now, and we, we saw the second beast back in chapter 13. We saw the false prophet. We know there's a religious component to this. We know there's a false prophet which is causing the whole world to worship the beast and to take his image and re- receive his mark and all of that kind of stuff. We, we saw that. And we know the resemblance of that through all of these kingdoms as all of these kingdoms have called the world, if you will, to have some sort of false worship. Even the first Roman Empire forced its citizens to worship Caesar, to, to have certain uh, uh, access to certain parts of civilization. Remember we talked about that, right? We know that in Babylon that was done. You had to worship the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar in order to have freedom within that society. We know that the final world government is going to require worship as well and not just worship but total control through the mark of the beast. We've talked about all of these things, so we know this. So we have the beast. We understand the false prophet, but a little further glimpse in shows us the harlot we talked about last week, which speaks of spiritual idolatry, if you will. She seems to be something, but she's not faithful to that, which she seems to have a commitment to. 
And so we looked at this woman last week called the great harlot, one of the three prominent women in the book of Revelation, the woman from Revelation 12, Israel, the woman in Revelation 19, the church. Here we have this woman who is a harlot, Revelation chapter 17. So we see all of this, but when we got to chapter 5 last week, we began to get a glimpse of this, that on her forehead she had a name written, and it seems that John might would take that looking at things from the time when, in, in which he lived as a clear picture of a harlot, which in the Roman Empire, many of the women who worked in the business of a harlot, whether they were part of a particular temple, because there were many temple prostitutes in many of the false religions, because all of this false Babylonian religion has sexual immorality tied in with it, okay? We talked about these things. And so many of them would wear a headband of which their name would be tied to it. And so this would be, uh, to, to John, a familiar thing, whereas to us, not, not so much. And the name that is given, look at it again. We talked about it last week, mystery. Remember, I told you that a mystery in the New Testament is just something that had previously been hidden, now is being revealed in New Testament. Some of the examples we looked at, John gave us, uh, Paul gave us the one, the church was a mystery, Ephesians chapter 3. The Old Testament prophets couldn't see it. They didn't understand it, couldn't discern it. But now it has been in this age revealed. Does that make sense, y'all? Okay. The rapture is a mystery. John, uh, Paul said also, uh, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we must all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of the eye because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we must be changed or resurrected in order to go into the kingdom of heaven, right? And so literally the rapture, the resurrection and how it would take place, the Lord descending from heaven, bringing the souls of those who, who sleep with him, their bodies being resurrected, those who are alive being changed on the way up, literally resurrected on the way up to meet the Lord in the air. Y'all, we've talked about these things. And so that was a mystery which has now been revealed. Praise the Lord. We understand more than has ever been understood. And this mystery, which we're trying to gain understanding of, is the mystery of, notice, Babylon the Great. So mystery tells us that Babylon the Great has not been fully understood. You know, we begin to talk a little bit about uh, the Catholic Church because we can understand and see a lot of what we see in this Babylonian system that's being given to us in the Catholic Church. But I think the thing is that it's not just the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is just a part of the whole system. And how do we know that? Because the system sits on many waters and it's riding the beast, which has seven heads. And those seven heads take us all the way back to Egypt. Listen. This woman's been riding the beast for a long time. And so there are a lot of things caught up in this system that we need to uh, consider. And this woman is not in one geographic location because if you remember um, that she sits on many waters, according to verse 1, and we got the Bible interpreted in verse 15 that the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, which means that this system is on every part of the globe. It's permeated everything, okay? We know that from last week. So this mystery now that we're learning of and is going to become even clearer as we go on is Babylon the Great. And when we think about this in Hebrew, it simply is Babel, which means confusion, Okay, and in the Greek, it's the territory of Babylonia, 
or this land of Shinar, which we see in the Old Testament, where the, the, the land of the Chaldeans, um, the area in which a lot of things biblically have happened. But notice this, it says next that she is the mother of harlots. Y'all see that? And of the abominations of the earth. Do you see that? What it's saying is mystery Babylon is the mother. Mother speaks of your origin, where you're from, right? Right? It, you know, in the 90s, African-Americans, we would call Africa the motherland. I'm just trying to kind of help y'all, right? Somehow your motherland is where you're from because y'all are like sleep this morning, <laughs> right? So what, what, is, what, I'm, what it's saying is that Babylon is the mother of all spiritual idolatry and false religion, and it's the mother of all of the abominations of the earth. And I think it's hard for us to fathom sometimes because we live in these little you know, 80 to 100 year bubbles of which we can comprehend only a little bit. And God is saying, I stand outside of time. I look at the whole thing and it all originated at Babel. Well, what originated at Babel? What happened? Well, today I want to dive into it a little bit all the way back in the book of Genesis. If you turn there with me into chapter nine, Genesis chapter nine. I hope y'all doing okay. Y'all are really quiet. We, we, we uh, covered quite a bit of it last week. I want to just kind of have our own little parenthetical insert here. Because something happened in Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, the flood is over. God just brought Noah and his family through the flood. He judged the earth because the earth, listen, the earth was filled with um, idolatry and uh, violence and sexual immorality and a lot of demonic activity, okay? Just like the days before the Lord comes for us. The earth was filled with those things, so God judged it, um, and he, he judged it with the flood, and he only brought through, um, he raptured Enoch, if you will, before it all went down, and then he brought Noah and his family through. And so in that, we see a picture of the church and a picture of Israel. Israel goes through, the church gets raptured. And so in chapter 9, though, uh, as he's beginning to restart the earth, God says in chapter 9, verse 1, to Noah and his family, he says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You notice that? Which is what he told Adam and Eve. This is what God desires. God desires man to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. Listen, the global system that's developing once they, one of their doctrines is that the population of the earth is too heavy. And if we don't get that under control, we're not going to be able to sustain ourselves because they don't realize that they don't sustain themselves. OK, so they are already at odds with what God desires. Does that make sense? So Bill Gates is against God because he thinks that population control is necessary. God said, fill the earth. He's the one that knows how much the earth can handle. He created it. He laid the foundations. He said to Job, were you there when I did it? The answer is no. <laughs> okay. So who gets to say that how big the population can be? If God could care less if it was, if it was 50 billion, he, if he wants to sustain it, he can do it. All right. It's his. So he says, Noah, spread out, fill the earth, multiply. That's what I want. I want to see a huge humanity because there's more fruit to God. All right. Now, 
Um, I want to get into something but time, so I'm going to skip all the way to chapter 11 now. I may come back to something in chapter 9. So chapter 11, verse 1, we see the first global, well, I wouldn't say global at that point, but the first worldwide rebellion against this command. In Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says in verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now remember, the world leader at this time is Nimrod, okay, who begins to conquer and rebel against God, and he, he's a conqueror of men in some way. And so they go and they dwell there in the plain of Shinar. And verse 3 says, Then they said to one another, Come, notice, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. So they had the technology. And it said, then they said, Come again, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Notice again, let us make a name for ourselves. It's very interesting. A name for ourselves. Let us be, and there's a lot we could go into that for that time. He says, let us, um, lest, excuse me, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. In other words, lest we actually do what God commanded us to do. Because God said, be scattered and fill the whole earth. You follow me? God is always dealing with knuckleheads that don't want to follow his command. Even the church is, is like that. He said, hey, you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. What did the church do? Stayed in Jerusalem until persecution arose to scatter the church, Acts chapter 8, and then the church went everywhere preaching the word. But if persecution hadn't arose, they wouldn't have left Jerusalem. You follow me? So the God scattered them through persecution because persecution always refines us and makes us stronger, which is why we don't have to be afraid of anything that's coming. Amen? We just need to stay close to the Lord. So in other words, we need to build ourselves a city and defy God and his command. It's about us, and it's about what we want, and it's about us being able to, to do things our way, and everything's okay, and, and, and all of this kind of stuff. And so it says in verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. Um, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They have a global agenda. They all have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing they do, uh, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. They have a global agenda they will change their DNA. They will clone. They will do all of these things. They will defy us. They will make it legal to have pedophilia and any kind of sexual immorality they want. Babylon wants to have its way. Verse 7, come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, which is what he desired to begin with, and they ceased building the city Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And Satan desires to lead mankind in rebellion against God. And that is the system that is being spoken of here. It originated in Babel, in defiance of God. 
and in defiance of all that God had called them to do. Now, really quick, as we're out of time, go back with me into verse chapter 9. Y'all just bear with me for a moment, if you don't mind. Chapter 9, verse 12. Satan's not as smart as he thinks he is. You can just see him operating. Chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 12, it says, And God said, this is the sign. This is back again. After the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah. And this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign, for a covenant between me and the earth. You catch that. It's between me and the whole earth, he says. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember. I love this. God will remember when he sees the rainbow. My covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God says, it's a covenant. When I see the rainbow, I'll remember that I promised that I would never, ever destroy the earth with a flood again. So he'll use fire. Because when he looks down now, I think he sees the rainbow. Satan's flying it as his own flag. It represents all the levels of sexual immorality that he wants to perpetuate in the earth through his final global system. When we at the abortion clinic, the abortion workers wear the rainbow flag. They wear it in the marches. Uh, and, and, and by the way, each variation of sexual immorality has its own, or each type of sexual immorality has its own variation of the flag is what I've been learning. Like the pedophiles have their colors are specific colors, but it's all the same. And I'm beginning to see the rainbow flag flown everywhere by people who are buying in to this global system, which is in defiance of the God that we know and love. And see, the problem is, as we shared last week, this is the issue John has when he looks at this woman back over in the book of Revelation, because we're really out of time. Remember, John is baffled because the thing is, if John was just looking at the Roman Empire, that wouldn't be such a big deal for him because the Roman Empire, John already knew, persecuted the church, persecuted the Jews. But when he sees the woman in chapter uh, 17, verse 6, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament saints, and when he saw her, he marveled with great amazement. It's almost... um, he is, is almost as if he's really emphasizing something here. He's completely blown away because he sees something that's, if you will, um, being supported by this uh, government system of the globe, this global governmental system. He sees it, but this woman actually is resembling to him the church or some remnant of the church, but is guilty of the blood of the saints even, if you will, walks with a cross. And even though we can tie a lot of this to the Catholic Church because the papacy can be, you know, many tie the papacy to the deaths of more than 50 million people, more people, look, many people believe the Catholic Church killed more people than the Spanish flu. 
Um, and now when you talk to Catholics, they, they reduce those numbers, obviously. But yeah, there's a lot of that that went on through the years. And so the Catholic Church is a heavy part of what we're looking at, but just a part of what we're looking at. You see, this global governmental system rules over the people of the world and builds an economic system in defiance of God, and it persecutes the people of God who choose to stand for God, and all the way through this system, and in this global system, it enslaves people. It treats human beings like merchandise. The great city of Dubai that we look at is beautiful in, its, in, in how it's been put together, but it's documented that it was built on the backs of, of human slaves. Um, there's the sex slave uh, trafficking thing that's going on, and we, we look at these things that happen, and we see them, and we say, how can this stuff even exist? How can this even be? It's because of this global system that's in the earth that defies God, which is led by Satan, which God is going to finally judge. And we're getting a glimpse of it here. And this is why, listen, as we close, we have been called to be separate. And this is the struggle the church is having today. Too many people in the church love the world and the things of the world, and their heart is divided. And we got to have a heart uh, committed to Jesus Christ, focusing on Scripture, and pointing people to him, ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We have to see the world for what it is. John says, love not the world and the things of it, because the world and the things in the world are passing away. In other words, it is passing off the scene. We are eternal. The world system is going to be judged by God. But he's called us to draw closer to him. And that's why I'm not afraid of persecution, which may be coming, ah, which is coming. Our brothers and sisters around the world, in Asia, Africa, India, almost every country you can think of, experiencing quite a bit of it. And now we're getting to see it. And the level of deception in the air is so thick that most can't even see it. And God is calling us to, in, in the times we live in, y'all, to be real, real believers, uh, real disciples of Jesus Christ, people who proclaim his praises, who are not afraid to be bold for the Lord in a loving way. And so in order for us to do that, one of the things that we need to do is learn to love one another, even if we have different, differing opinions about what's going on, Love is meet each other where we are, realize some people have health issues which cause them to do things a certain way, okay? Um, realize that some people struggle with, and maybe it's because they are absorbing. Look, with the censorship, most people that are looking at mainstream media don't get it because they're being fed one flavor, one flavor. It's like growing up, we had Kool-Aid. It was different flavors. That stuff wasn't good for you. <laughs> they get one flavor, and that's, that's the, listen, that is what the enemy desires them to get. So wash your brains in the word of God. Turn to find ways to just, you know, be able to see things through the lens of the Bible. Stay close to him. Pastor Kevin is not crazy. I'm just, I'm simply telling you what's coming, but God loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. We, we ask that you would be with us now as we leave this place, as we go throughout this week, that you would keep us in our um, our cars, our homes, um, the, the, the schools, the, the, the jobs, the, all the places we have to go, Lord God, that you would just protect us and keep us, Lord God. Give us wisdom and discernment in all things that we do. I pray your blessing upon everyone in this place, Lord God. And we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.